Now here's another chance, and Garland on the other end of the ice scores off a nice setup by Pew Suter in the slot. As Suter got it middle of the ice, played it to the near post to the right of the goaltender, Cholapilo, and Garland was there to scoop it home. The scrimmage is in the books. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Here in the Mobile Kintech studio at Savon Foods Memorial Center, Team Blue defeating Team White 3-1 as the Canucks will continue day three of training camp with some special teams work coming up later on this hour in first preseason game coming tomorrow as they visit the Calgary Flames. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We now welcome from the Canucks front office, it is Ryan Johnson. Thanks for this, Ryan. Uh, how's training camp been so far? Uh, it's been good. It's been, uh, you know, it's it's been a great pace. It's been very purpose-driven. I think uh, Talk has done a good job of, you know, we wanted to give him an opportunity to implement things, his first training camp uh, with these guys. And so I think uh, you guys watch and see that there's, it's not just, let's get out here and zip pucks around for the sake of getting going. Everything that he's doing uh, is is purpose-driven. And I think even some of the small detail stuff that he's really trying to hammer home with this group, uh, I think he's accomplished in the last few days. Well, and then as far as the scrimmage goes, I think one of the things we were focusing in on, in addition to obviously looking at Indian individuals and how they performed, was seeing how they could apply a lot of those drills and the structure work they did. And uh, what did you make of how the players performed in scrimmage, especially with a lot of the wall play? I really saw the team be very strong, not only offensive zone in terms of winning wall, wall battles and creating space, but also getting back in your own zone. It seems like that's been a huge emphasis this training camp. For, for sure, and and I think you know one of the things that that talk has really hammered home with these guys is is uh, um, you know skating skating out of the zone in on a four check or a turnover a puck, making sure the pressure is coming back. I think you, you see that instantaneously. The guys are are really thinking about it. Even something as small as uh, improving our line changes, just how we come off the ice, makes an, it makes a big impact on on the game itself. And that's something that I think. Uh, like I said, these are little details that the talk is beginning with start camp, something that he's going to continue to hammer home with our group as we move forward and in the preseason games. But I think it's you're seeing, uh, I think, a lot more of a structured group, and do we want to take away the skill set and creativity of guys? But by no means, uh, not at all. But giving them a structure to, to play around to be able to use that is important, something we think is going to give us a chance to win hockey games. Yeah, and uh, at least through the drills and, and maybe even seeing uh, parts of it through the scrimmage, although we'll, we'll see a little bit more as the preseason games really kick in. Uh, playing faster as a team, playing tighter as a five-man unit, moving up the ice and through the neutral zone. Yeah, I, I think at times we, we uh, last year we, we, we played uh, a very, I would say, disconnected or distant game where, yeah. you know, you hit forwards and stuff with the far blue line defense back kind of uh, on an island and, and we want to move as a five-man unit uh, I think you see even in practice and, and even stuff that we've talked about that I think for those watching in Penticton uh, you know organizationally we want to be a team of six to eight foot passes not 40 foot passes mm-hmm. leaving guys on an island we want to come together we want to attack together we want to forecheck together we want to back pressure together uh, play as a tighter group play together and like I said those, those eight foot passes you know, give you a chance to come up ice together and, and, and attack and make it difficult on a defending team. And it creates more speed, doesn't it, when you make those shorter passes and hit guys in stride? 
Well, absolutely. You see it every time. A guy floating on the on the, on the far blue line, uh, taking a pass standing still. It's mm-hmm. easy to defend. You close out, and then you end up having a five-man unit come down your throat. So when, when you attack that way, you're able to keep your speed. You're able to hit lanes. you got a fourth man, a, a, a far side D creeping in. It makes it tough to defend. And that's something mm-hmm. that I think we're, we're really focusing on you know, with a big group, but also organizationally. I think our, our language is we, we want to operate that that way from from vancouver to abbotsford and and uh and think it, it'll help us improve you know when, when you d have support and are able to move pucks your, your forward group instantly gets better and see that this year ryan johnson assistant to gm patrick alvin and uh general manager of the abbotsford canucks joining us here on canuck central live after uh, team blue defeats team white in the uh, training camp scrimmage uh you know there was uh a lot of positives from uh, what happened in Abbotsford last year and through training camp and even uh, through uh, this scrimmage, we saw some of the players that really showed out well for Abbotsford last year start to really make their play to, to maybe uh, make themselves on the bubble, put themselves on the bubble, put themselves on the, the big club roster, Archdeep Baines and, and some others. Uh, what have you seen from some of the guys that you've been growing and developing over the, the last year and a bit? Well, I mean, I think you guys see it. Uh, you're looking in years past, the, the drop-off, even in a a, uh, a scrimmage like this or in a practice where you've got, you know, you can see a real tail-off from, say, your top guy down to, I mean, all week I've been saying to our group, there's no drop-off. I mean, it's it's it, it was eight defensemen and, and 12 forwards in each group that you're, you're trying to find uh, – who's the outlier here and really really wasn't and that's healthy you know there's a lot of competition for roster spots and you saw people that even guys that were in Abbotsford that you've alluded to the Carlson things the, mm-hmm. um, you know I could go on and on uh, the experience that they had has really propelled them forward uh, realizing the importance of the exit meetings for some of those guys the importance of what the next three four months how that was going to impact their careers and in in the following season we've seen a lot of guys take big steps again just in the off season so competition is healthy is a healthy organization we have tons of it there's going to be guys that miss out on roster spots in vancouver that are going to be in abbotsford and kind of looking around even in abbotsford going you know there's seven or eight forwards here that could be the next guy called up there's four or five defensemen here that could be the next and that creates a healthy environment now for those guys just trying to be the next man up so uh we feel we've taken big steps as an organization and we just want to continue to do that well it certainly does seem like the depth has improved and not only at the ahl level but also you see guys that are kind of viewed as nhl players or guys that could really break break uh, break camp with this club and one guy who i thought really stood out rj was jack studnika and he was challenged at the end of last year to get a bit quicker get a bit stronger and i thought he was the most active player on the forecheck showed good speech showed some good physicality what do you make of jack studnika and how he's come to camp and played in the scrimmage well, 100%. He, one, he's come in in in, uh, in great condition, great shape. Two, I think he, um, you know, the, the self-assessment to be able to say, hey, I might be at a crossroads here, uh, and I've really got to be assertive and aggressive and, and carve out not just a roster spot, but maybe a role in a niche. And I think you're looking at a guy that, that is showing some, uh, I don't want to say desperation, but really trying to make a mark uh and and uh, it's it's to see him skate 
to see him uh, being physical. Like he's, it's going to be interesting to watch in, in the training camp. Obviously, a right hand guy that can play the center, play the wing. That's extremely valuable. You'd love to see him take a step and uh, talk, be able to re- rely on him on the penalty kill. Anybody that speaks like that should be able to disrupt turnover pucks, whether it be five on five or shorthanded. So he's he's going to be fun to watch. But I'm really impressed with even just how he's carrying himself uh, down below. The confidence he's got his chin the chin up, his eyes are up, uh, and very excited about I think the opportunity that lies in front of him. Even just talking to some of the the players over the last uh, few days, you know, it's come up a lot. You know, uh, understanding what role I have to do and what I have to do uh, to help this organization and, and grow myself as as a player. It, it seems as though that communication has been really spot on, and, and players uh, all around the roster, forward or defense, seem to have a better understanding of what they have to do uh, to to make the NHL club or or fill the role that that the staff is is asking of them. Yeah, and, and I always say it's even to the guys in in Abbotsford. Like you, you, you've got to create an identity that when the phone rings and it's it's whether it's Patrick or it's Talk or it's hey, you know what what what's his calling card? What does he? It's one thing to produce or to, but, but what is your calling card? And what what are you? Where do you slot in? And I think guys are are having a, a better understanding of. Just the urgency to create their identity. You know, it, 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 it's an absolute must when you turn pro and you're trying to make a roster, not just, hey, I, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm playing well and I feel like I'm in great condition, but, but you want to really assert yourself of where you're going to help a team. And I think we've got even some guys that were on our group last year that realized, hey, I, I just, I just can't play here. I've got to be leaned on and, and, uh, um, you know, if, we're, if you're, if you're going to be a winning organization, you've got to have players that understand their role and where they fit in and that are excited to play that role. And I think Talk has done a great job of helping our guys identify that and, and not just show up to the rink and hey, I'm just going to go through the motions here, but really focus in on what they're good at, what they can bring to the table, and how they can help us win games. Two guys who started with the big club last year but found their way to Abbotsford were Vasily Putkozin and Niels Hoaglander. Now, training camp this year, both guys are getting a shot not only to make the team but play sizable roles. Uh, Hoaglander playing alongside Pedersen and Kuzmenko and Putkozin alongside Miller and Bester. How much do you think not only their off-seasons but the work they put into Abbotsford last year prepares them for this opportunity this year? Well, it was unfortunate that Pods, the injury at the end of the year, he you know would have jumped in. Uh, been able to get back and get that experience that, that Hoggy did. I, I mean, I think it was very natural. Hoggy's first week down there was very tough on him. Uh, tough for him to understand at that point what the purpose of it was. But, uh, you know, Hoggy and I had a great conversation last year or yesterday, looking back on last year and how thankful he is to the, to the coaches, to the people, to the trainers to, for that experience. Because once he accepted that okay these are some things that i need to work on at this level this level and i'm all in and um things changed immediately and he started to manage the puck better the wall play uh managing the game and and what we saw for for those at the end of the year and into the playoffs i mean hoggy was was arguably the best player on the ice every night not because of production it was because of his feistiness his compete his puck battles i mean 
I, I always watch back that Calgary series and, and uh, you know, he was running over people. And again, that fight, and that's what he and I talked about yesterday, was just every day in practice, having that fight, that compete, that, that almost uh, a little bit of nastiness to him that pisses people off. Uh, it was a side of his game that I don't think people knew he had in him, and that's yesterday we kind of laughed. Like now, I think he enjoys uh, when that came out of him. I enjoyed playing the game as much as he ever had, and I think that really that experience has propelled him forward. He's more confident, and I think he understands now uh, how he's got to manage a game, but can still be able to use his skill set, uh, his shiftiness, his his. You know his way, how he darts in and out of traffic and the make play. So it, he's going to be exciting to watch as we move through camp here because I only think he's getting better and better as we go along. You know, we've uh, had big expectations of, of Jack Rathbone for a few years now. He, he showed well here in in the scrimmage, but uh, there's there's a lot more competition for for spots on the roster now. As we've talked about, what is it with Jack that can that can get him to to be and, and see that next level of his career? Well, I think, as we know, Jack is, is a game-breaker. He can change a game with things that he can do at the old fence pool line. I think he's he's really worked on some of the detail stuff that maybe we don't directly pay attention to, but his, his box outs and, and attention in, in the D zone. But, you know, one of the biggest issues of the last few years with Jack was just staying healthy. You know, he had some untimely injuries and things like that, kept him out for an extended period of time. So it's great to see him back and healthy, ready to go, and uh, for him, it's, he's just got to pick up some momentum here, and he's been off to a good start here in training camp. RJ, uh, we really appreciate the time. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking through the course of the season. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, there is Ryan Johnson joining us uh, here at uh, Save on Foods Memorial Center, assistant to the GM and general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah, when we come back, we will uh, do a full recap here of what happened in the scrimmage. Team Blue beating Team White. Some of the standout players and our takeaways from the first game action we've seen here at training camp. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Alfred and Bruff here for the Delari family of Acura dealers. And Jason, can you feel it? Can I feel what? Hockey season's in the air, bud. New players, new coaches, new optimism. How can hockey season be in the air? And new vehicles like the 2023 RDX, awarded 2023's top safety pick rating from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety. But again, how is hockey season in the air? I'm excited too, bud. Check out the RDX today at North Shore Acura, Acura Blangley, or Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Delari, Canada's largest automotive group. Sometimes you need an appraisal, but you may not realize it. Campbell & Pound can help. Whether you're transferring real estate to your children or proposing a non-arms-length transaction, trust the professional appraisers at Campbell & Pound. Did you know the government can audit you based on GST, capital gains, and or property transfer? That's three separate taxing authorities, meaning three potential audits. When faced with an audit, Campbell & Pound is in your corner. Visit campbell-pound.com. This is your home for the Canucks. Hey, this is Elias Patterson. Patterson into the blue zone. The big shoots. He scores. Elias Patterson goes coast to coast and wins it in overtime with just 15 seconds left in the extra period. Sportsnet 650. 
So money's a thing, but it's not everything. I think you really look at the importance of what are you doing with your time. The conversations that we've had with our financial advisor is very much about building what that framework looks like that helps support those important things. Uh, the places where you're investing your your time and your resources, your family clearly, uh, and uh, those closest to you. Edward Jones. We do money differently. Visit edwardjones.ca slash different. I asked my Mopar service expert for advice on preparing my car for winter. He said switch to winter tires. Below 7 degrees Celsius, they have superior adhesion to regular tires. That's good advice, I say. He says that's expert advice. Enjoy a free seasonal tire changeover with peace of mind maintenance or inspection at the Get Winter Ready event. And buy three tires, get the fourth free. See your Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram dealer for details. We built it. We know it. I'm Joe Leary. Join me Sunday night at 10 on Sportsnet 650 for Just Here for the Beer radio show podcast. We'll be broadcasting from the Gull in North Van and focusing on the breweries of the North Shore in advance of Craft Beer Week in November. It's presented by Emilio Fanati Pizza, Angry Otter Liquor on 248th and Langley, and Bailey Murphy of Style Lab Hair Salon in Yaletown. Just Here for the Beer radio from the Gull in North Vancouver and focused on North Vancouver. Sunday night at 10, Sportsnet 650. Step onto treadmill. Start playlist. Skip song. Skip song. Skip song. Hear your jam come on. Turn up speed. Run to the beat and feel like you're the lead in a music video. It's a treadmill workout. Join for $7.99 every two weeks at fitforlast.ca and experience fitness simplified. Some conditions apply. Fit for less. Everybody happy. At Toyota, we build quality trucks with you in mind because everyone loves a friend with a truck, especially a Toyota, winner of the Canadian Black Book Award for Best Residual Value. So when that inevitable ring-a-ding-ding for help comes, you're there, rolling up in an award-winning truck because you're an award-worthy friend. It's time to lift with your legs. It's time to Toyota. Lease a 2023 Tacoma 4x4 Double Cab SR from $123 weekly for 60 months at 7.79% APR with $3,400 down. Visit shoptoyota.ca or your Pacific Toyota dealer. PC Optimum Points Days are back this week. Open your app, shop, and scan to earn more than 1 million points. That's $1,000 back in points. Only at Real Canadian Superstore. Offers end September 27th. See Flyer for details. I'm Paul Zirk from the destination in North Van. We custom fit ski boots, but the same people who know boots so well also know skis. So I'm sure one of our staff will be able to guide you through the maze of choices and get the right new pair for what you want to do on the mountain. Make an appointment for your boot fit, get in early, catch a deal on last year's skis, and be ready for this year's fun. The destination, Slope Outfitters in North Van, Vancouver's favorite custom boot fitters. Jack 96.9 is playing whatever. Yeah, that means you might hear this... Jack 96.9. Check us out today on whatever you listen to. Your radio, the Radio Player Canada app, or on your smart speaker. Just tell it to play Jack 96.9 Vancouver. 
Due to the success of this sale, only at Metro Ford in Poco and Magnuson Ford at Abbotsford, the 10 days of 10% off event is held over until the end of September. Get 10% off all in-stock F-150s. That's up to 10K off. This is the largest F-150 discount offered in Canada. Metro and Magnuson have the most trucks in the province and the biggest discounts on F-150s you've ever seen. Sale ends soon. Visit MetroMotors.com and MagnusonFord.com now. Beth is about to make the most important decision of her life. She either goes for Subway's warm and delicious classic meatball and keeps things the same, or she chooses the meatballer and enters a world of chef-crafted deliciousness, one where her meatballs are brought to life with fresh mozzarella, pepperoni, and parmesan sprinkled on top. What will it be, Beth? Uh, Jim, you're narrating again. Yes, I am. Say yes way to a new chef-crafted take on an old favorite with a Subway series. Only at Subway. The Vancouver Giants take on Zachary Benson and the Wenatchee Wild Sunday, October 1st at 4 o'clock at the LEC. See the Buffalo Sabres first round draft pick live. And join the Giants for a Save on Foods post-game skate. Get your tickets right now at VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. It begins with a wave of anticipation. All hockey fans wonder, is this going to be our year? The NHL on Sportsnet, October 10th. Be here. CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650. The official home of the Canucks. The Canucks have their second power play goal of the night. They take a 3-2 lead. Download and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Canucks Central live from Savon Foods Memorial Center. It is Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the mobile Kintec studio. We're in Victoria, and it's Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. We just spoke with uh, Ryan Johnson of the Canucks front office, and now we get to break down some of what we saw here in the 3-1 win for Team Blue over Team White, uh, Quinn Hughes and company getting the win over Elias Pettersson and co. on Team White. Some uh, initial thoughts here, Sad, on what we saw in the scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, we can just work through uh, a, a number of things that we saw here. And uh, should we just start with the best player on the ice? Which was somebody you shouted out uh, <laughs> yesterday during the mailbag. And by the way, if you have a question or comment, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We already have a bunch coming in. Try to get as many as you can, and uh, we'll answer as many as uh, we go here on Sportsnet 650. Jack Studnika. Uh, you even heard it from Ryan Johnson, impressed with the way that he's come in here, and uh, really with a purpose towards building out an identity for himself on this roster. And he, he's here with something to prove. It's very clear, right? And it's clear that he took everything they told him at the end of last year to heart, and he, he's here with the right mentality. And listen, these are small steps, right? We're talking about the first couple of days of camp where, you know, he, was, he, was, he looked engaged, he looked he was very active, but it was hard to judge based on a lot of team drills they were doing. It's only a scrimmage. But he was the guy that was skating miles, right? And you see the pace that he can play with and also the physicality he has now that he's added a little bit more strength to his frame. And when you can get it on the forecheck the way that guy can, has some versatility, he's got some decent hands as well. Like, he's a player that if he puts it together, like there's, he, there's an NHL player there of some degree, right? And having that versatility, I think, helps out. And considering this team still needs the guys with good pace, guys that are very aggressive on the forecheck, I think there is a need for that type of player 
in this organization. And I think Jack Stadnika kind of seizing that opportunity in that first scrimmage, I think bodes really well for him. The next step is going to be keep, keep doing these things in the preseason level, keep, keep growing your game, and then really push to make this team out of training camp. And being if he is a guy that is either going to be on the third or fourth line or perhaps a 13 forward, that's the type of player who can move up and down your lineup potentially, play different positions, can play center if you need be. There's a lot of versatility to what he can provide as long as he can get his level of play to a higher level than we've seen. And so far through training camp, this might be the best we've seen from Jack Studnika. So if you look at the forward lines and you look at the forward group and how it could line up, there is potentially a spot on the fourth line right wing. And one thing that stood out to me from our conversation there with Ryan Johnson and when he was commenting on Jack Studnika putting himself in a position to help on the penalty kill because the traits that he has can should translate to him being able to help on the penalty kill. We know the Canucks spent all summer prioritizing those types of things, but you can never have too many guys that you can throw over the boards during a penalty kill that you can rely on that you can trust a little bit. So yeah, that's another area that Jack Stanika can give value to this roster. Absolutely. And, and I think don't dismiss when an organization has something invested in a player, not only in terms of giving him a bit more rope, but also how hard they work to get a lot out, out of that player. And I think as long as he doesn't really fall apart here through the rest of training camp, I think there's a real opportunity for him to break camp with this, with this organization. So moving down through some of our other standouts and takeaways from this opening scrimmage here, they played as a line. And I think all three showed uh, some positives in this scrimmage. Arshdeep Baines, Pugh Suter, and Connor Garland. Garland ended up scoring... One of the goals here for Team Blue uh, was assisted by Pew Suter. But let's start with Baines. We get a ton of questions about Baines, you know, <laughs> yeah. local product. He was on the show yesterday. Go back and listen on podcast. But he continues to just impress because he understands. Uh, and it, even though he's pretty young still, has already built that identity as a player that we just heard RJ talk so much about and playing to that identity makes you see how he can grow into a role at the NHL level potentially as his as his career continues to go on. I'm pretty sure I saw Rick talk its heart flutter every single time he won a board battle and, and got his puck to a teammate. And he was really good on the forecheck, but very strong along the boards. And, and those are the types of things this organization is truly looking for. And especially when we look at the role he's playing on that line, like he's very much the first forechecker. The guy has to be good along the walls, whereas Garland's going to be more of the skill guy and Suter, of course, plays down the middle. And so far, he looked really good executing that type of role for this team, right? And ultimately, we'll see if he breaks camp with this team, especially if you have players who may require waivers that are pretty close in terms of their performance. It just may make sense to send, send Baines down and call him up when need be. But everything he's shown so far is that he knows how to play within a system. He knows how to play and execute a role this organization needs for him in the way they have their lineups going. And I got to say, like I'm more impressed than I thought I would be watching Archdeep Baines. I was kind of wondering, I'm like, he's, he's played well. This level's getting up higher. Is he going to be able to impose his will as much along the boards and be as active? And he's shown that. The next challenge, much like we spoke about Stadnika, is when you're facing another team, guys battling for spots and guys that are a bit stronger and guys that maybe, I wouldn't say anybody let up on each other because they all played pretty hard, but when you go up against somebody who's 
trying to make or break in the NHL. That's not afraid of me putting an elbow through your chest potentially. I mean, that's a bit more challenging. I want to see how he reacts to that. But I, I think he's farther along in terms of perhaps playing NHL games than I assumed. You know, uh, with Ilya Mikheyev still on the outside uh, of this training camp and working his way back to full health and into the lineup, it's going to keep some more jobs open. And uh, so there's potentially one spot to start the season extra than we might have thought a little while ago. That makes this interesting for Archdeep Baines. Now, Pew Suter and Connor Garland, we've seen them work as a duo uh, throughout camp in uh you know two v two drills two on one drills they were always working as a duo and i thought their chemistry really started to show out in that mm. scrimmage already you know garland sprung pew Suter on a breakaway later in the second period uh Suter found garland for one of team blue's goals it's you know we've talked so much about garland not like being an awkward fit on this roster set and so I wonder if, you know, the acquisition of Pew Suter, a guy who has some offensive chops to him, might actually be a better fit for Connor Garland as the Canucks look to build out a bottom six that has a little bit extra scoring pop. Yeah, and I mean, Suter could do a little bit of everything. Like, he's not, I wouldn't say he he has a great shot or he's got a great playmaking skills, but he's got decent all-around skills. But I think Garland and his playmaking can be a real key on that line, especially with his, with his play along the boards. You mentioned a chance that Garland set up Suter for. It was in the neutral zone by uh, Team White bench. He wins a puck battle and just chips it forward. Suter jumps on it and gets a breakaway opportunity. And the play that Suter set up Garland, Garland being around the net, great pass over cross, and he puts it into pretty much the open space he had. There is, I can see how these guys can fit in terms of stylistic, stylistically how they're built. And I think for Connor Garland, unfortunately on this team, because Pedersen's so puck dominant, because JT's so puck dominant, it's hard for him to fit into that top six. But if you find a center like this for him in a third line where he can truly be the fulcrum and he's really the guy that can handle the puck a lot, it gives a better opportunity for him to drive play, which we, which we know he has shown even last year when he played that third line role. He was a real play driver on the role on that line. They weren't able to create enough offense, but with Suter, can he create enough offense in a secondary role? And Considering the way Baines has played, and if they find whether it's him or somebody else ends up playing the left wing that can be the four checker and can be good and solid defensively, you don't even need to worry too much about sheltering them. But I think what you can do is you can really put them into advantageous positions, offensive zone starts. And if you're looking at finding some soft minutes for a bottom six line potentially or third line to create a little bit of offense, I'm really intrigued to see what Garland and Suter can do, and especially if they get ownership of a line for themselves. Uh, we are uh, still here at Savon Foods Memorial Center. Things have uh, kicked off again. The scrimmage is over, but the team has gotten into special teams work. And just want to make one quick note. We saw power play one go out, and it was Brock Besser working in the bumper spot, which is uh, a role that we've been really looking at and wondering how they would fill it for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, first look here at training camp going to brock besser in the bumper spot so we'll see how that develops as training camp continues to go on um nils hoaglander played alongside elias petterson and andre kuzmenko for team white they had some good moments um i don't know if petterson was trying to wow the crowd too much at times but he was holding on to the puck a little bit more than we're used to seeing with elias petterson trying to make things happen maybe uh a little bit of showmanship from uh, the Canucks Star Center, but Nils Hoaglander's fit on that line. I'm, I got to be honest. Like I'm still, I'm still skeptical 
But what do we see out of uh, Hoaglander in this first look training camp scrimmage? It's always fair to be skeptical, especially any time we're looking at what's going on here uh, through training camp and everything. But um, one thing that I that I noticed from him was he was he had a couple opportunities to shoot the puck. He had a couple opportunities net front, and he wasn't able to get the puck on net, which is something you want to see him do. He had trouble getting the puck on net consistent, consistently the last couple of years. But what I really liked from Niels Hoaglander was his play along the walls, right? He created a great chance by winning a board battle in his own zone, chipping the puck over, and he created a two-on-one for Kuzmenko and Pedersen. In the offensive zone, he won some puck battles as well. He was really good and active for checking and keeping plays alive. Even when he wasn't come away with the puck. He created enough havoc and put defensemen in enough tough positions that the puck remained in the offensive zone. Led to more cycles, led to more zone time. That's how a disruptive play you need to see from Hoaglander. And I'm with you. You want to see him finish more. You want to see him score more. But as of now, trying to fill a role on that line by being the F1, creating a little bit of opportunity for your teammates getting puck possession and being a thorn in the opponent's side those are the types of things he exhibited really well i thought in that scrimmage and i can live with that dan now long term you want to see a bit more but in terms of being able to earn a spot and and get a bit more rope here i actually liked a lot of things that he did in terms of his wall play and creating offense out of it uh continuing through some of the takeaways and some of the players uh josh bloom scored uh the first goal of the scrimmage it was a shootout marker as uh, Sheldon Dries gave him a little bit of a slash, and it ended up being a penalty shot for Bloom. He scored on it. Nice little move on Thatcher Demko to finish. It's uh, a player that we talked about as soon as the Canucks acquired him last year. And ever since we've started to see him develop and started to see him here in camp, looks like a player that is going to play NHL games in the future, whether it's for this organization or someone else. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, I think the way he's kind of gone about things here, like, this is a guy that you're going to see play games. And the only question really just comes down to where is that going to be? Now, when you look at what what the fit is here, there is opportunity here. Like, it just comes down to him. It's just how how do you feel about him being able to seize it? Yeah. I... Like right now, I don't see it for Josh Bloom. I think there's too many players on the depth chart. But that's kind of what I like about this camp is you're seeing a lot of players that have the potential, right? You could go into the season if you have a few injuries. You know, There are players, I don't know how well they'll take the opportunity, but there are players that you can credibly see coming up to the roster and showing something. And Josh Bloom has now put himself on that radar. Like there's... What I like about the way that this organization has identified talent, you see a lot of the, a lot of similar traits and the types of players that they are looking for. And smarts is big. Speed is another thing. And that's constantly something that this organization has been looking for. And they've brought more speed into the organization. I think Josh Bloom is another one of those types of players that is going to bring that to the organization overall. Yeah, and I think what you're going to see is he's going to start the season with the Abbotsford Canucks and as the yeah. year goes on. But now you have guys, whether it's Baines, you have Bloom, you have a few other players who fit very specific roles potentially. Like, How often do we see the options the Canucks had in terms of calling guys up were either veterans like a Sheldon Dries type or if you were calling up a player, it was a guy that you would view as more of an offensively skilled player, whether it was a Gold Dolbin type. And it's like, okay, great, but... Where are guys coming up to fill roles for you? Where are guys coming up that can play actual minutes for you and be trusted, whether it's defensively, getting on the forecheck, creating a little bit of um, havoc? 
that's the type of player you need in your organization. And it really looks like, like you mentioned, he's going to be playing NHL games at some point. Uh, we had a goal from Brock Besser, and now a little bit of a scrum going on between Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland. Uh, Joshua lost his stick and uh, was going after Garland a little bit, and now they've been tussling quite a bit. It's uh, It's been a bit of a tough uh, special teams practice here for Dakota Joshua. After the first shift, he actually didn't like something Philip Peronic did and gave him a yes. good slash on the on the shin pads, and now he goes after Connor Garland a little bit as uh, tempers flare here during special teams practice for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and once we run through this and then on the other side, a couple of interesting tweaks we saw in the power play, which we'll talk about on the first power play unit coming up. So, so stick... Wait for the next conversation coming up in the power play because we wondered a little bit about Bester being there, where he's going to fit in. We saw a couple of little tweaks to how they got their formation going. Uh, first look was Besser getting a look in the bumper spot, and uh, then second look for that top power play unit. He was on the left half wall. Uh, so there's a thought on uh, Josh Bloom. We still got to get to some of our takeaways on the defensive side of the puck. Then there is this final thought on the forwards. Teddy Bluger scored the lone goal for Team White. And, look, I'm always going to like a line with Phil DiGiuseppe on it. Uh, but Teddy Bluger especially, uh, this team has been looking for a fourth-line center. And, like, look, it's it's one scrimmage. But, you know, Teddy Bluger's just kind of a – he's a smart hockey player. And you can see the defensive chops in his game. It's pretty obvious what type of role he's going to fit for this roster and how it's going to look into the season. And as much as we focused on duos, I thought the trio looked good together. Bavillier with Bluger and with PDG. I thought all three of those guys were very effective in getting into the offense zone. They're pretty good in their own zone. Uh, we were able to win puck battles and drive the net pretty consistently as well. And I saw a couple of things from that line, which the rest of the team was trying to execute, which they weren't as effective at doing, even though you saw them try it every once in a while, was they'd be on either the far side or the near side, two forwards and a defenseman, winning a puck battle by the, by the circle. And the third guy would stay a bit farther out far to either the near wall or the far far wall and they've tried to do a cross seam pass a few times that line was effective in getting that completed a couple of different times and it seems like that's something they want to try to set up as the season goes on and when you're a line that's you know a lunch pail line like that but at the same time has enough skill it's intriguing to see how a line like that can create a little bit of offense essentially from hard work and winning battles along the walls and being able to protect the puck and i thought the trio really looked good i thought maybe that was the best trio we saw uh, so far in scrimmage We'll get to uh, some of what we're seeing here from the Canucks special teams practice, their first of this training camp, and our thoughts on how some of the defensemen fared in the scrimmage from earlier. Akito Hirose, Tyler Myers, Jack Rathbone, and also the big one, Carson Soucy and Quinn Hughes. What did we see from that pair in our first look? It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canucks Central. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here at the Save on Foods Memorial Center in Victoria. We're in the mobile Kintech studio. Some final thoughts here on day three of training camp as it continues to wrap. The Canucks will be back in skating tomorrow morning, but... And there will be a group sent off to Calgary for the first preseason game of the year. Of course, you'll hear that on Sportsnet 650 tomorrow night and also watch on Sportsnet Pacific. 
So, Team Blue defeating Team White. It was 3-1. We talked about a lot of the forwards that we thought had some standout performances. On defense, look, the biggest takeaway, not to be a a downer about anything here so early. It is just (laughs) one scrimmage. But we were really focused. I think you're being a downer. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, (laughs) Debbie Downer. The, like, we were all sort of focused on what was going to happen with Quinn Hughes and Carson Soucy. Mm-hmm. And initial takeaways, especially Soucy, had some uh, tough moments during that scrimmage. And some of it had to do with handling the puck on his offside, which is, as Rick Tockett said, he needs to be convinced that uh, somebody can play on their offside. Well, and, you know, not to keep plugging all the interviews we've done, but if you go back to the discussion we had with Ian Cole, which is on our podcast feed, one of the things he spoke about when we were talking about playing your offside is, like, it's more than just how he handled the puck. It's also when you're defending, when your stick facing the other way, and you're on your offside defending, it makes it a bit more challenging. And I thought Susie had a lot of trouble when the forecheck, when he was on the right side, and he got forechecked very hard. He had a hard time not only finding the puck, but getting hold of the puck and just even getting out of his own zone. So he did not look overly comfortable defending, playing the right side, especially given the amount of space you may have to cover when you're playing alongside Quinn Hughes. And listen, it's the first scrimmage, right? And, I mean, Carson Soucy's, you know, he's, he's come to a new team. He had the, you know, he had the Twins recently as well. So a lot's been going on. So I think we got to be a little bit patient in terms of evaluating his play. But it seemed like he really struggled playing the right side along Quinn so far today. And that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on because if you're looking to be convinced, like you mentioned, Tockett said, that was not a convincing scrimmage for you to really bank on this being a duo. Now, we'll see what happens in the preseason as time goes on here. But at first glance, first look in a real game-type situation, it was pretty pretty problematic for the most part. They got better as a pairing, but, but they got better because Quinn Hughes decided to just take essentially be the one-man breakout. And when he did that, the pairing was fine. But that kind of tells you it would have to really be on him to always retrieve the puck and get it out. And I think that's almost asking too much on a consistent basis for guys who are playing 25, 26 minutes a game. Yeah, for... Uh for Susie, it was it was a tough first showing next to uh, next to Quinn Hughes. Now we'll see how it continues to develop, and uh, does he get more comfortable? I th- I think some of his um, you know, there was a play that you mentioned during the first intermission that we talked about with Brock Besser, where you know Besser moved the puck back to Susie that put them in a bad spot, and mm-hmm. they ended up getting stuck in their own end for about 45 seconds. It comes down to you know having that puck support, having your support from your teammates, support from your forward group to give you an outlet pass as well. And some of those things the Canucks uh, still working on as they go through here. But uh, some work to be done, a work in progress with Carson Soucy and Quinn Hughes uh, from that first scrimmage. The player that Sat never stops talking about. I mean, I know I get the gears for Phil DiGiuseppe and everything else, but... Here's Sat. We're sitting next to each other as the scrimmage is ongoing. And, oh, you know who looks good? Like, uh, Kito Hirose, you know, just uh, fits in just as we always thought he would. Be still my beating heart watching uh, Kito Hirose play defense. I mean, he's just just a smart player, always calm, always collected. And 
he just makes he's always in the right spot and it's not even like he does a lot like sometimes it's literally just angling the guy off to the wall instead of letting him get it to the front of the net it's having you stick in the right position and he has a very active stick he's not the strongest player but he consistently wins battles because he knows how to leverage his stick and he knows how to get the stick on pucks and, and create enough disruption to make it difficult for the on- oncoming four checkers and I'm just so impressed with his overall defensive awareness and defensive play offensively that's where kind of you kind of wonder what he can do but he has no problem transitioning the puck out of his own zone and it's not like like it's a surprise or anything but he was certainly one of the cleaner defensemen for this team in this scrimmage so far and we'll see what happens as preseason goes on he does not require waivers you start looking at the options the team does have we'll get to another defenseman young defenseman come up in a second who i thought looked okay but does require waivers does he ultimately start the season with this roster does he make it so undeniable because he's just so clearly better than most of these guys that he makes it? That maybe is how he forces his way onto the roster. But it just seems like in terms of his intelligence, in terms of his ability to play defense, it's it's something that's a clear gift for him. It is um, it is impressive. And it was so impressive when he came in last season and immediately did not look out of place. And that's continued here after his first offseason as a professional hockey player and coming into his first training camp as a pro as well. You mentioned Jack Rathbone, or alluded to Jack Rathbone. He's here, part of the special teams groupings, and is um, playing with the third unit, which is mostly a group of players we would expect in Abbotsford, Linus Carlson, Aiden McDonough, and others. But Jack Rathbone doing some good things during that scrimmage, um, I thought he made some smart plays, just the normal things that Jack Rathbone does, but made some good decisions on the ice. Had a couple of good pinches in the offensive zone that uh, kept pressure on and even made some good recovery plays as well through the scrimmage. So this is the biggest or one of the bigger conversations about how the roster eventually shapes up. You have Hirose, you have Matt Irwin, you have Jack Rathbone, you have Christian Willannon. Mm-hmm. You have Noah Juleson. That's a lot of guys to fill out the final two spots on this decor set. There is, but there are a lot of bodies. And if you are concerned at all about somebody getting picked off waivers and you want to give it a bit more time to see if somebody can actually be something for you, it makes sense for you to give the 7-8 spot to guys, whether it's a Willannon, whether it is a Breeze Bois, right, whether it is even a Jack Rathbone because he does require waivers. Now, it comes down to how concerned you are that somebody's going to claim those players. But if you have any sort of concern and they're kind of close to some other guys, I think you got to start the year with them and see if there's something there that makes it worthwhile before you kind of go through that risk. And as far as Rathbone goes, Rathbone's issue has never really been training camp. Every time we've seen him at camp, even preseason, he looked pretty good. It's when the pace picks up when he starts making some questionable decisions with the puck, he makes some questionable movements with the puck, he, his reads kind of be a little bit off. It seems like when the game gets really fast is when he has a little bit of trouble you know, playing the right way. And that could just be with experience and needing some more time. But when it comes to the tools, right, his skating, his shot, his passing and even for a guy who's not a you know big tall player he's a sturdy player he can get in and win battles along the walls he's got good hand-eye coordination he did a really good job knocking some pucks um, loose pucks out of the air especially one time in the neutral zone when uh, the opposing team uh, that i think it was team white was trying to get a clearance he knocked it down transitioned the puck back into the offensive zone and he got more zone time so he's clearly has this skill set that screams nhl quality it's how do you put it together and process Ace picks up, and maybe that's why with Rathbone, as long as he looks like this, you kind of have to give him that chance again this year just to see if 
there's something there or not before time runs out. It's uh, going to be a big spot for Jack Rathbone, as we know, once the games get going. Tyler Myers. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, are people ready for this conversation? I don't know, but the the normal anytime you mention Tyler Myers, you know, I can just hear the text line revving up the engines to start bringing in the takes on the chaos giraffe, as they like to call him. But Tyler Myers comes in is still slated for a decent role on this team going into the final year of his contract. And once again, you know, he looks good in, in a training camp situation and scrimmage situations. But like really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like he, this is Calder Myers we're seeing in, in this scrimmage. We saw in this scrimmage earlier. I mean, he was taking the puck, lugging it up the ice, closing space, taking guys out along the walls, clearing the net, moving the puck efficiently. I mean, he was he was doing all the things Tyler Myers did as a rookie. Now it's a scrimmage, yeah. right? And that's why I kind of joke. I don't know if people are ready for this conversation or not and how people react. But Myers looked fantastic in that scrimmage. And he has a lot of motivation this year. He has a chance to earn another contract when this runs out, whether it's in Vancouver or elsewhere and considering how righty defensemen teams are always waiting to throw money at them as long as they can show some level of competency there's a lot at stake here this year for Tyler Myers and if you can play him in a bit of a sheltered role a little bit I mean can he perform at a decent level and that's something we're gonna have to find out can you can you reduce the chaos but as far as the scrimmage goes if we're being fair about individual performances I'm hard-pressed to name another defenseman who was clearly better than Tyler Myers today one of the most ridiculous things we often hear about Tyler Myers is, oh, he's not even an NHL defenseman. And, and <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, it's not true. No. Um, is he an overpaid NHL defenseman? Yeah, of course. We've had that conversation. We understand it. But in a perfect world or an ideal world, you know, Ian Cole and Carson Soucy work out well for this club this year, and Tyler Myers isn't put into as major a role as he has been put into in years past with this team. And to me, he probably, at least in theory, looks a lot better in those situations. Still a big question mark if Ian Cole and Carson Soucy are going to work out well for this club. But that's a situation where you can get a better version of Tyler Myers once his role is potentially dialed back a little bit. You know that uh, the the stock for Tyler Myers is low in the lower mainland. When I'm getting a text message from my partner, she's saying, we want to get rid of Myers. Big, big exclamation mark. <laughs> and I get it. He's the last year of his contract, and he's going to be gone. Like, he's not going to be here long term. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But if we're being fair from his performance, like, he's, the thing is, you can't put him in a position, like you said, where he plays 25 minutes a game. Yeah, you know, and some of the defensemen that people said were better than him last year, and they performed better, but they were playing like 15 minutes a game. You play Myers 15 minutes a game, don't put him in tough situations. He can play the same way those guys can, but you still don't want to pay a guy six million or four million or three million to be a safe third pair defenseman playing 16 minutes. So I think it's more about does he play well enough to be a contributor for this team, and or and more importantly, in my opinion, does he play well enough that you can trade him and get something for him at some point this season, which I think would be the best case scenario. Uh, Raymond with this text, what is Myers worth in UFA right now? Right now, I'd, I'd still say, like, it wouldn't shock me to see Myers get a two- or three-year deal around $3 million per. Yeah, I can see it elsewhere. Um, probably not here. No, but, uh, I would hope not. I would hope not. <laughs> but, I mean, but look at the guys. Like, even Carson Soucy, he's a lefty, right? But he got over yeah. $3 million per season. Like, 
Eric Goodbranson, as dreamy as he is and as big and strong as he is, he's not a better defenseman than Myers is. He's got $4 million per season. So when it comes yeah. to these big physical righty defensemen, they get paid. As long as you can show that you can chew gum and skate at the same time, right? That's kind of where, what the bar is for those guys. Um, it's shown to us pretty much every single offseason in the National Hockey League. So we shouldn't expect otherwise. And again, uh, the Myers conversation won't go away this year. We'll see how it develops getting closer to the trade deadline and what the Canucks do with their pending unrestricted free agent, Tyler Myers. So a couple of questions coming in. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, This one unsigned. Is it pronounced Shilovs then? Uh, Yes. Yes. Uh, Brendan Batchelor was calling it that way. I've been saying it, uh, something we've uh, heard over the last couple of days, and as Batch was informed, Arter's Shilovs uh, from now on for the uh, Abbotsford Canucks and maybe the Vancouver Canucks. You can always tell uh, when players' confidence uh, goes up when they start correcting the pronunciation of their names. (laughs) When guys come in and they know they're not getting anywhere, they're very early. It's like, whatever you want to call me, it's fine. After having a strong year in the AHL, after after being the best player for Latvia at the World Championships, Arthur Shilovs is now demanding we say his name right. Um, will we get to that point with Phil DiGiuseppe? I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know, man. So I used to make fun of you for like you know calling him Phil DiGiuseppe, right? DiGiuseppe. Right? How did you say it again? <laughs> DiGiuseppe. DiGiuseppe, right? Because he himself says Giuseppe, right? But then we yes. chat, like you mentioned, you read, you said his name in perfect Italian. And we were sitting table side next to him, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, is this how you're really supposed to say your name?" And he's like, "Yes." I wish <laughs> more people would say my name this way. So I have to concede. I have to concede defeat. Uh, he also conceded that he himself calls himself Di Giuseppe <laughs> at times. So um, there's a lot there, but uh, ton of our interviews happening over the last couple of days. Um, you can find on the podcast feed that's where you'll get all the post game shows all of our exclusive interviews everything canuck central on your favorite podcatcher you can hear the crowd here at save on foods memorial center giving a uh, hearty clap as the team exits the ice and wraps up their special teams practice after the scrimmage earlier this morning team blue defeating team white three to one uh mark with this text why is the team so reluctant to try Hughes and Heronic as a pair, give their stated desire, given their stated desire for righty lefties on each pair? I get the right side is thin, but seems like a home run duo that can play half the game. That is from Mark. The, the problem is what are you doing for the other half of the game if those guys are together? Yeah. That's the issue, right? And I think in an ideal world, if you had a couple other defensemen, having Hironic and Hughes together, I think stylistically they, they would mesh perfectly almost. Because I think Hughes is a better puck mover than Hironic is. Hironic's a bit of do-it-all, do it but I think for an efficient puck mover and everything Hughes can do, I think that could be a really dynamic pairing, a really good defensively, good through transition. I, I understand what Mark is saying. The issue is you don't have enough top four defensemen to be able to have two other pairs, Right. And if you've got those guys together, you may have to play them 28 minutes a game, which is asking way too much as the season goes on over 82 games. I don't disagree that I'd love to see those guys together at some point, and maybe situationally we'll see it as the season goes on. But the team has to have a couple of defensemen emerge for them to be able to have that luxury to play those guys together. 
Uh, Tavi with this text. Uh, once OEL's cap hit comes in, they're going to need these younger players who can come in like Bloom, Baines, Ratu, McDonough, Sasson. So all these players that this group specifically has brought in over the last year and a bit. McDonough was drafted by the Benning regime, of course, but just started playing with the organization in the spring of last year, and uh, this front office was able to get him signed after his college career wrapped up. You know, that... How they deal with that in a couple of years from now, I mean, that's a bridge really far to cross, but this is one of the promising things that's happened here. They've put the building blocks together. Jim Rutherford's stated goal... We need to get Abbotsford right. We need to start building more depth within the organization. And there is more credible depth. Are they the best prospect pool in the National Hockey League? Not by a long shot, but there is definitely more credible depth. And one of my takeaways from camp through this week, Sat, it's very evident that there is more credible depth within the organization being here the last three days. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. And have, just being able to play some games, to your point, even credibly and, and not be a drag and cost your team, especially when injuries hit, all you can ask for when a lot of injuries hit isn't for your team to excel in those moments. It's to be able to keep their head above water in those moments. And do they finally have enough organizational depth? And when those injuries hit a critical mass, you can rely on your, on your AHL team to, to keep you afloat. And it seems like that's a possibility. We'll see as the season goes on, but it is encouraging. Um couple more texts coming in. Love the uh, line between Bluger, PDG, and Beauvillier. Then you would put Dakota Joshua with Sooner and Garland. Yeah, 100%. Now, before we get out, because we only have a few minutes left, let's let's do the special teams thing. I thought it was interesting watching that Power play unit. one? Power play one. So, first look, Brock Besser went into the bumper spot. Yeah. Then they had a second look, and it was Miller in the bumper spot. And it was a third look, and there was a lot of things moving around. And I was like, okay, so it's something like we talked about this with Rick Tockett last week. Again, you can go back and listen on the podcast. But wanting to be more fluid rather than stationary. And the other part that he mentioned, he wants to get Pedersen moving more. Yes. And that was very obvious to see in the little that we saw power play one. Pedersen was not just stationed up on the right half wall waiting for the one-timer. No, not at all. Initially, to get set up, it was pretty much Quinn and Petey, who played a bit higher, stuck to those positions a bit more to gain zone entries and gain possession. And once the possession was gained, you just started seeing movement happening. And, you know, Talk had mentioned that these players, especially guys like Pedersen and Miller, as good as they are playing their natural positions so far in the power play, which is just being on the half walls, they can do so much more than what they've done. And especially when you play certain teams, there are different matchups that can be favorable to you. Like, for instance, JT Miller, if you're playing a team where the defenders that come out flare out wide and the point guys are good at closing down and taking away your space, well, you might be taking away some of his strengths. But maybe they're not as strong protecting the, uh, protecting the bumper spot in the middle of the ice. JT's got a great release. Why wouldn't you get him into that position a bit more and take advantage of not only his strength and his size and his shot, but also his playmaking off that position? And when you're able to put guys in different spots on the power play, depending on the opposition you're playing, the looks they're giving you, it just makes you so much more unpredictable and so much more dangerous. 
as the season goes on, it's hard to maintain that stuff. You see teams get stat- static with how they play and they get stagnant. But if you can keep that motion going, you can get guys in different positions. It just creates so much more space for you. And even a guy like Brock Besser, because of his righty shot, like I don't love him being in the bumper spot consistently. But if you get Brock moving around, get him front net front, get him behind the net at times, I think you start getting Brock to be more creative and, and, and not be as predictable. Because oftentimes when Brock gets in a position where he's stationary, it's very predictable. He's either going to the point, he's going down low, or he's trying to take a bit of a shot, which isn't going to be that dangerous. But if you get Brock moving, getting some open space for him, that's where you can see not only his playmaking and his anticipation step up, but also he may be able to get better looks on the net. And what we've seen with Kuzmenko playing in that down low spot, you know, he's got so much creativity in his game yeah. and he sees the ice so well that, you know, he sees things that sometimes Brock doesn't when he's playing in that role. But if you can get them both moving, get them all moving, like, hey, maybe there is times where Brock ends up on the left half wall and sets himself up for the one-timer or a quick snapshot. There are different ways to run this power play, and it's it's pretty obvious that uh, they want to be ambitious with it and get it moving around. And I think the big one is Pedersen because you're sort of losing so much of what Pedersen could do well if he's stationary just waiting for a one-timer completely agree i think getting him you know getting his skill set to shine more on the power play can make them not only more predictable predictable but far more dangerous uh quickly on the pk we've been waiting to find out what the first pk unit's going to be in terms of the d pairings and even the forwards it seems like because it consistently went out there as the first unit cole and susie with oman and joshua interesting now it might just be oman and joshua because Miller and Pedersen were on the top power play unit? Precisely. And, 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 but I don't think Miller's going to be on the first unit, but can they afford not to use his face-off prowess on the power yeah. play, which is on oh, a PK, which is going to be uh, something I'm going to watch very closely this season to see if they can truly reduce his minutes on the, on the PK. But the D pairings are what's interesting, because you're right. It's hard to kind of tell if... if Maybe somebody on the power play features back and, you know, Bluger and PDG were a forward duo. And we did actually see a few times the forward duos change for Cole and Susie as well. So I think they were getting some different looks. But I think Cole and Susie is your first pair. That, that'll look to be your first PK pair. The second one that they used was Breezebaugh and Veronica, I think, is going to feature there as well. So I'm not sure that shows you exactly what's going to happen. But I wonder if the first D pair is going to be Cole and Susie. Uh, also, Pew Suter, who... Uh, is likely to feature on the penalty kill in some form as well. He was part of power play unit two. So tough to glean a ton on the PK, but uh, some initial thoughts there on the power play and penalty kill. And uh, just to clarify what happened with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland, uh, Garland kind of cut under Joshua at one point during a drill, and Joshua didn't like it so much. He ended up swinging his stick and hitting Philip Peronik in the shin pad. Peronik didn't appreciate that too much, but then the next time Joshua was out there, he uh, went after Connor Garland a little bit. So uh, things did get a little bit physical, and uh, tensions heated up there for a moment, but um, it's showing a uh, higher level of intensity here as training camp starts to come to a close. Uh, All right, we are heading out of Victoria as of this afternoon, Sat training camp officially wraps up tomorrow and the preseason begins with the game against Calgary tomorrow night. Do you have one final thought as we wrap from Victoria? Yeah, I'd say it was a taking care of business training camp so far. I'm encouraged that everything they spoke about as an organization 
that they've been lacking that Talkit spoke about, they really honed in on. And it seemed, I wouldn't say they've mastered it because they've been through three days of training camp. doesn't mean that you've figured everything out. But it seems like they're on the right track in accomplishing what they set out to accomplish and, and forging an identity, an identity for this team. And having this type of focus makes it a lot easier for you to reach that at some point this season to keep you in the playoff hunt. And, you know, we'll keep tracking that. But I think it's been an encouraging, I'd say, uh, a, a very quiet training camp, generally speaking, which I think is a positive thing. So I'm encouraged so far, but I still want to see a bit more. Uh, we'll, we'll need to see how it translates to some of these games because, you know, it was... In training camp 12 months ago where we started to see it a little bit and be like, something's not quite right here. And then once we got to the games, it was like, okay, there's something really off here. And then it played into the first 10 games of the season and really through the first half as long as Bruce Boudreau was the head coach. It was all about the structure. We'll see how the structure fares in the first preseason game tomorrow night for the Vancouver Canucks against the Calgary Flames. We are signing off here from Save on Foods Memorial Center in the mobile Kintech studio. Appreciate all of you joining us. And again, check out the podcast feed for all of our exclusive interviews. We interviewed 10-plus players, some coaching staff. You can find all of it on the podcast feed with your favorite podcatcher, Canuck Central. Subscribe and leave a review. We do very much appreciate it. For producer Eddie Gregory back in Vancouver, our producer on-site, Josh Elliott-Wolf, my co-host, Sat. I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.